Well, good evening once again. Let's go ahead and pray and we will get started as we have a little bit we're hoping to get through here tonight. So let's pray. Lord, even once again as we come together this evening, we ask that you would be with us, that you would help us overcome whatever degrees of distraction and uh, weariness of the flesh that we may have. We pray that you would help this time to be fruitful. Lord, even as we build on things from previous weeks and connect things even from Sunday morning, God, I just pray that you would continue to open our eyes and our hearts to your word and just the richness and significance that it bears um, to keep us on that path that is pleasing in your sight, Lord, and help us to uh, glory in the promises that you've set forth for us, your people, in your word. Jesus' name, amen. All right, we just have a few of the continuing metaphors tonight, and that is uh, the idea of a royal priesthood and a holy nation and his own people. And really, this is all really focusing out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, for the most part. We had seen how we were like a temple as it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, you yourself like living stones are being built to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so there is a sense in which it, we, it parallels us with a temple, the place of worship as we come together and the worship that we offer is like the sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant that's the design that God would would have us in collective community come together and offer him these praises but first Peter 2 9 and 10 says these words you are now I don't know why I have on your notes here 2 9 and then 2 9 and 10 so we'll just go on down to 9 and 10 together um, but maybe if you read them twice it'll just get it in there a little tighter Uh, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy now when you take a passage like that and you um, you you put these pieces together you you realize that here is is the the old testament the things that were told to the children of israel that had been stated to them let's say for example and i'll read it out of uh, exodus chapter 19 verse 5 But you'll see a big difference in Exodus 19.5, though many similar words are also there. It says this, Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you keep my covenant, or if you obey my, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to Israel. So here's the, here's the clear difference. Stated in Exodus 19, it said, if you. Now I ask you, based on your exposure to and reading of the Old Testament, did Israel obey his word and keep his covenant? No, they did, they did not. And that's why, again, as we reach Jeremiah 31, it was prophesied a new covenant I will make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah after those days. And so there would be a time that the covenant that they failed, as it said in Hebrews, he finds fault with the first covenant, and the fault was their breach of that covenant. So theirs was if. But how glorious it is when we're reading 1 Peter and it doesn't say if. Of course, it's written to the elect who are spread abroad. And it says simply this, you are. That's strong language. You are. Now remember, you're not the high priest. 
There were, there were uh, the, all of the Levites to some degree were priests and they, and they did various types of service in the temple. Guarding, even uh, cleaning, uh, protecting, uh, even some parts they would, they would do relative to the sacrifices. But, but we have also one high priest as they had one high priest. Our high priest is God himself. And then I want to make this very clear, because we have this tragic tendency to think, okay, he's the high priest, and then um, the pastors are the priests, and we are the people. This is wrong. The scripture actually speaks of what we, what's oft called the priesthood of believers. You are priests. I know we're uncomfortable with that language. It sounds pretty Catholic to say you are priests. But predating Catholicism, it's, it, it, it flows out of the idea of Judaism. The whole point is this. We are to the world at large, to be those who serve God towards them. We're to be, uh, serve in that, in that service and intermediary role. But listen what it says in Hebrews so we don't miss where it clearly states Jesus as the high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I mean, I read that and sometimes I, I get fearful that we've read that so much and we've said it so much that it doesn't strike us with the, with the significance that it should. I mean, just for a moment, contemplate yourself. It, it, forget about the last, whatever it may be, based on, on those in this room, uh, 24 or we have people even as old as their mid-50s in here. Right? And so, uh, how about yourself with regard to temptation throughout your life? And not even going back all those years. What about if we go back over a week? And it may be that the person that you dwell with, you may be aware that they also sin. <laughs> right? And they may make you aware of your sin. It's a wonderful... But, but with Jesus, and, the, and this is the, the remarkable thing when we, if you really note this. Within the context of Jesus' ministry, uh, uh, he, he didn't live isolated in a box. He, he actually had these 12 and then a significant other number of disciples who basically went with him everywhere, every day, for years on end. Can you imagine that? They're sleeping where you're sleeping, they're waking where you're waking, they're wherever you're teaching, wherever you're eating, they're always there. And it is from among them that they're saying, without sin. And so this, this isn't speculation. It, 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 let, me, let, let me finish reading that. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may find and receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. I love the fact that it says draw near with confidence because the thought isn't I can't draw near uh, because I'm flawed. I can't draw near because I've done it again. No, it's not that. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin. And we draw near because we are in need of mercy. We are in need of help. That we should, to, to live as priests in this world, to live as those who would represent Christ, we will not do so perfectly, but we can continue to go to him and find mercy and help. 
Now, when, when, I, when I hear that word, it reminds me of this. Generally speaking, we go to somebody and we plead for mercy when what? We rightly deserve some kind of bad, some kind of judgment, some kind of punishment to come upon us. We say, you know, please have mercy on me, you know. A cop pulls someone over, and I've been in, in, in this situation, though it wasn't me at the time. And, and, and the person is, uh, you know, misread the speed limit, possibly, and uh, they get pulled over. And what do they ask the cop? Hey, you know, I don't normally do this. Uh, is there any way you could have mercy on me this time? Any way you could show a little bit of mercy? You know why they're asking that? They have no claim of innocence. There's no way to weasel out of it. They, they want, may want to try to say, hey, I, hey, I wasn't. Is that gonna, That's often not going to work because he's probably got a little radar gun that has already come up with a number that's been maybe printed out in his system. You caught. You asked for mercy. Jesus never, always, so blessedly, without sin. We are, and as it says, listen, the, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, the, 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 that's very interesting because what the terminology does, as, as, as looking kind of to what we were on Sunday, we live in this world that, that often compartmentalizes by communities and all kinds of things. But that's not just us. So did they. They lived in communities that, that had very, very strong prejudices. And they are being reminded significantly, and, and I lo love this, the statement, you are a chosen race. Note this, you're not chosen from out of a bunch of different races. <laughs> you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy people. I mean, we know this, which is what's so shocking about all of the peculiar pseudoscience that takes place. You trace men all the way back it goes all the way back to who? Adam and Eve. So no matter what continent, no, no matter what coloration, no matter what, our ancestry ultimately all goes back to the same place. And, you know, but what's it, it, what this does clearly is it says, look, in a sense that transcends anything that this world knows or experience. These are your people. God looks down upon them and says, these are my people. And so we look at one another and we say, you're my people. And I'm your people. And we are, well, what's the common phrase today? We're in this together, but not in this in terms of some disease, not in this in so terms of overcoming some social injustice. We are in this tribulation, in this life of persecution and strife and struggle together where we have been placed to be salt and light in this present world where we are to be a priesthood. Now, I want us to, to uh, put a few of these pieces together um, Noting this also where it says, a people for his own possession. For those of you who might use the King James Version there, it actually says, a peculiar people. And that may rightly describe some of us here, for sure. Uh, but nonetheless, it it's it's doesn't carry the, the clearest sense. They've, the, they've left off a very important word in that translation, if, unless... unless at some point during the Elizabethan King James language era, the word peculiar meant possession that is preserved, which I don't think it did. But the, the, the sense is we are his possession that he preserves. That's the word that's in there. We are the people who are his 
preserved possession. That's a powerful sentence, isn't it? Now, um, to get all this and understand this right, and, and we've got to put a few pieces together. And, and part of the challenge is this. Now, look, when we've come along from the Old Testament to the New, we're seeing, okay, under the Old Testament, there was a temple. But that temple had its temporary purpose, and now that temple is not the place of worship, but the place of worship is now the church, and in a, we are spiritually the temple of God, correct? That one had literal sacrifices where you're cutting up animals and you're doing all kinds of other things. Now there's been a once-for-all atonement in sacrifice, but the scriptures indicate to us as we read through them that the prayers of the saints and the praise that we offer together, that rises like incense. Those are sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And so though we're not sacrificing, uh, those sacrifices were designed to be an act of obedience that were pleasing to God. And, and our prayers and our singing together in a similar sense is, is now in a more significant way pleasing and honoring and exalting to God. Moses had given the law, and they had to listen to him. And Moses said what? There's going to be a prophet who arises after me, Deuteronomy 18, 18. Him you should listen to. And as we come to the New Testament, as we're working our way through Acts, it's, it's pointed out time and time again, the one that Moses was speaking of was Jesus. And we do have those multiple times, his baptism and the transfiguration, <laughs> where uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so, so we, we see, well, well, the temple moves into the church. The, uh, uh, Moses moves towards Christ. David, sitting on the throne, moved towards Christ. A high priest moves towards Christ, but a priest forever. Melchizedek, instead of Levi, but what you, what you begin to see, and, and, and part of us starts to sit back and say, wait a second, it seems like a lot of these things point to Christ. And we say, amen, they actually do. Do and we don't want to miss that by not seeing how they point to Christ, and by sometimes clinging to the uh, the old covenant ways or the Old Testament understanding, we don't see the the culmination and the covenant that was inaugurated by Christ, and we need to see that, and so we we come down to the bottom of page. One, because what, now we're not dealing with the, the covenant, the old covenant, which is the covenant with Moses. Now I'm briefly talking about and looking at certain promises that were made to Abraham, okay? Now the Abrahamic covenant can be seen as a backdrop for the old covenant, means it was to the physical descendants, the physical descendants, some of the physical descendants of Abraham received the old covenant, all right. Now, when the old covenant with, with Moses at Mount Horeb was given to those who were brought out of Egypt, it, it was actually told to them, I make this covenant with you here today. I did not make this covenant with your fathers before you, but with you who are hearing it today. Okay? So the covenant with Moses, the old covenant, is a different covenant than the covenant with Abraham. But what sometimes gets a little bit tricky is our, our brain mixes the two up because, practically speaking, they're both older than the new covenant, right? As is the covenant with David, as is, was the covenant with Noah. They're all older, but we, do, we miss that oftentimes when the New Testament says the old covenant, it is referring to Moses. But listen. The covenant that was made with Abraham is, is, a, is a remarkably nuanced covenant. 
which may have some temporal unfolding that happens to his physical descendants and then may find its culminating uh, uh, substance in the person of Christ and then in all those united to Christ. So just preparing you for what we're going to see. Okay. So the Abrahamic covenant is a backdrop of the old covenant, Moses and Israel, and the new covenant. Certain systems have tended to over-literalize the complex elements of this covenant, while others have mixed and muddled the distinctive elements. Um, and so what I want us to do is just go with me to page two, and I'm just going to break this down for us so that, we, so that we're making sure that we're thinking carefully. And obviously, one of the things I also want to note here, we don't merely want to think carefully because we've talked so many times before, we can't trust our thinking. So it's not independent thinking. We want to think carefully over what the scriptures say pertaining to this subject. All right? So apply our minds and our study to know the word. And with regard to Abraham and his children and his children's children, and certain promises that were to Abraham and his children. There were among Abraham's children, some that I, that I call here in these notes, physical descendants. They were not the ones who ultimately will inherit the promises that God specifically made to him and his children and children's children. Now, God was merciful, and he also uh, blessed in significant ways Ishmael and, and his descendants. But it was not to Ishmael that the promise was given, but to Isaac. And we also see Esau. It says this in Genesis 17, 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. And I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. So God answers uh, the prayer of Abraham. And he is going to provide a blessing in the life of Ishmael. But Ishmael is still not the child of the promise. There's still a promise, but not the promise. Um, I will make a nation, in Genesis 21, 13, of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Okay, And then we also know Esau, likewise, is a descendant. And Esau also would have some nations that would come from him. But the scriptures uh, uh, paint that in quite strong language when it says, Jacob I loved... Esau I hated, carrying that sense that, uh, that those blessed promises, some practical promises, some practical benefits of God's goodness were afforded to both Ishmael and Esau, but the promises that really mattered were not granted to them. They were given to Isaac and Jacob, so you had the physical descendants, and then you also had the special physical descendants. Unique. Not that they, not that they were, they, there was something special about them. Not, don't misunderstand that, uh, because when we look at them, oftentimes their character did not seem to exceed their rejected brethren in any way. But again, what's, what makes them peculiar is that God had purposed a particular promise upon them that he simply had not their brothers. And he says this of Isaac in, in Genesis 17, and this was just one verse before the one we read of Ishmael above there. God said, no, it's not going to be this boy. It's not, before that, it's not going to be the slave in your house. It's not going to be this boy. Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you will call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. That's special. 
Do you get that special uh, covenant promise that was given to him? I, I will also note this. Who has decided that this barren woman will have a son? Who has decided that this son is the one that this promise will rest on and no one else? Who even decided this kid's name? Who does he think he is? Yeah, he knows who he is. If just we would get that. Because he's God, he, he doesn't have to say, what do you think about the name Isaac? I mean, does that... What do you think? Does that sit well with you? Do you think your wife will like it? Uh, no. It, it's, so, it's something sometimes to sit there and read it and listen. And say, look, God said you're having a kid because he's given them a kid. God said, this is the kid I'm, I'm placing this unique covenant promises on. And this is what you're going to call him. And you know what Abraham's response is to that? Yes. Yes, sir. Amen. That, I mean, it, it was, again, Abraham, as we might call the father of faith, he often symbolizes, even though he was a literal person, but the New Testament often refers to him as one that speaks of faith. He believed God's promise. He believed that he would have a kid. He believed that even if he killed that kid, that God would raise him up because God had made a promise. It's unbreakable. His confidence that God is God and that God fulfills his word was unbreakable. And so we have then Isaac, and he says in chapter 21, uh, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy. Uh, because of the slave woman, whatever Sarah says do, uh, to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. That's why I call him special. He got something special given to him that wasn't given to his older brother. Jacob as well. Now we remember Ishmael also had 12 sons. And so does Jacob. And we have all these verses, and yet it reminds us, and I just jump forward to Romans 9. Though they were not yet born, and had done neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So, so listen, God put his purposes on, Isaac, on Abraham, on Isaac, and on Jacob, be, not because they were special. When he sets his love on them, sets his promise, marks them out for his purpose, they are special because of what God has done. Even the scripture is wanting us to know, if you read this verse clearly, that this historical act of God in calling Abraham out from his, his land and then giving him Isaac and then setting this promise on Jacob and choosing one over the other, the design was God did it this way so that we would understand that everything rests upon what? Let me see that again. Ah, God's purpose of election. And not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's, that's pretty amazing, right? So, so what makes someone part of that chosen race? He calls. What makes them that royal priesthood? He calls. That holy nation, it's, be, it's by God's divine call. And I guess I might want to also go back to this. this it says this uh, in 1 Peter 2, it said a royal priesthood. Did you, did you pick up on that? Well, sometimes we glaze past that. But the whole point is Jesus was established as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. 
And Melchizedek, when you go back and study him in the Old Testament, was what? The king of Salem, or king of peace, you could even say. So, so, so he was a royal priest. And Christ is the prophet, priest, and king, the royal high priest. And so our role as priests has nothing to do with any flesh connections. It is entirely because we are united to the king, high priest. So we are a royal priesthood. So I hope. Now, on to the next one. Thirdly, in terms of looking at descendants of Abraham. We're trying, and trying to figure out who are the descendants of Abraham. Well, he had some who were just pure, only physical descendants. He had some who were special physical descendants. But then beyond that, which, which ended up being, in, to some degree, all of the old covenant people, right? They were distinct and they had a special privileged position that was given to no other nation on the face of this earth he god set his purposes on them and and he brought them out he delivered them he promised them the land he brought them in and gave them that land but then we go even a step further there is and i don't have enough words to really build this up as big as it should be, but this is good enough for now to make it clear in our mind. The singular, supreme, special, physical descendant of Abraham is Jesus Christ. That's why it says this in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were to Abraham and to his offspring. Now, when you say that, the, the, the immediate conclusion of everyone is what? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and thus the people of Israel. That was, the promises of Abraham ultimately found their expression in the Jewish nation, the Hebrews. Correct? I mean, if you read the Old Testament, that's the answer you'd probably be ready to go with. But then the Holy Spirit through Paul, indicates to us, no, no, no. It, that wasn't the end goal and design of God's promises. Just like the, the uh, selecting of the, the giving of one son and then the selecting of one twin over the other were to show God's purposes in election and God's power, Christ also is the one that it ultimately pointed to. And, and I'll show you. Let me finish reading the verse. And it does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. I love that because you know what? I don't have to figure it out. You know, it, it, it's like theology for dummies. You know, it just says it so simply and so plainly that even we can't miss it. Right? Well, he we would like to believe that. But, uh, so what, so, but, but then you got to start to wrap your mind around something. Wait a second. When we were working our way through the Old Testament, it seemed like God was fulfilling to the children of Israel um, certain promises that he had given to their forefathers, and that's kind of how it was unfolding. Yes, and you saw God faithful to his word, and, and his word included to prosper them at certain times of brief, oh so sadly brief, obedience. And to curse and punish and even at times exile them during times far too regular and frequent and extended times of disobedience. Correct? And so what we see through all of that is, but that was not ultimately God 
fulfilling his purposes in the promise to Abraham. Those were ultimately things that were unfolding the secondary covenant given through Moses. And all of those were to show the power of God, were to show the faithfulness of God, were to show the absolute weakness and sinfulness of men, the undeserving, obstinate, stubborn, deceitful character of men, the patience and mercy and kindness of God, the judgment and harshness at times of God. And we learn a ton through all of those things. But Galatians tells us that in the purposes of God, when this, the promise was told to Abraham, this promise is to you and to your offspring, it was not all of the Jews. It was not the Hebrews. It was Jesus. And, and I, I, what, what inevitably happens when, when uh, I say that sometimes is people say, how, how can you say that? I said, well, I, I kind of just read it is all. I mean, you can, you can see that, right? The promise was made to Abraham and his offspring, to your offspring, who is? Christ. I mean, I would have to be out of my mind dangerous to try to go back to something else when the Holy Spirit has revealed that the ultimate purpose and person of the promises was Christ. You with me? Okay. And then who are the spiritual special descendants of Abraham? Well, it happens to be those who are spiritually born of God, those of faith who are united to Christ. So we are... Now listen. Jesus was, according to the flesh, a descendant of Abraham. Correct? According to the flesh, a descendant of David. Yes? And so it's, it's not that God completely cast off uh, the lineage of its promises, but it reached its conclusion. In the person of Christ. And it's heartbreaking where, when people want to still kind of pull Christ back from that and put some other earthly nation or some other earthly race or people there when the promises belong to Christ. Okay, now let's, let's go a little bit further and see the, the connection of uh, who are children of the promise, who are, and, and how this all puts together. Now, the key ingredient that we, that we oft see, and it goes with what we saw last, uh, on Sunday morning, that um, you have uh, physical, and you have, uh, or, or according to the flesh, and you have according to faith, right? But the scriptures are clear. Jesus, Jesus even says this. He says, look, the faith, the uh, Flesh availeth not. It is the spirit that avails. It, it doesn't matter what is your heritage or history in terms of who your parents were or who your great-grandparents were. Even as we saw in Ezekiel 18, that was part of the point of Ezekiel 18. Look, it doesn't matter if you have a heritage of, of absolute heretics and blasphemers and, and, the, and, the, and the worst. When, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. When he makes you a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all has come new. You're not bound to those things. They have no claim on you anymore. They have no mastery on you. That's what Romans 6 is trying to say, how we've been set free from those things. The Gentiles set free from those kinds of things, much in the same way that the Jews are set free from the law. But uh, I'm just going to breeze through quickly 
a, a rapid summary of the book of Galatians leading up to chapter 4, just to show you the significant emphasis on faith. Um, in 123, it says, preaching the faith, faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God, hearing with faith, hearing with faith. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, this is, I'm unfolding, who are the spiritual special descendants of Abraham, all right? So, who are the sons of Abraham? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Because there is a physical answer to that. Yeah, please ask the question correctly, Jason. Yes. Uh, with regard to the purposes and promises of God, who are those to inherit the promises that were given to Abraham? And you will see here, it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Some of you, when you were little kids, probably learned a little marching song, Father Abraham and many sons. You did all, all that stuff. Well, this, the, the idea, again, we're thinking, I'm, but he's not my father. I'm not a Jew. Well, there is a sense in which he is a father figure to all of us who have faith. You know, it's not, well, there's too many pieces for one night. Okay. Um, bottom of page two, God would justify the Gentiles, that is the nations, by faith. Again, he says it in, in 3.9 for anyone who missed it before. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So when I was telling you that uh, the scriptures often set forth Abraham and symbolize him as the father of faith or the man of faith. This is where we see it. And those who are of the faith are the sons of Abraham, the man of faith. Keep reading. The righteous shall live by faith, but those are not of faith. In Christ, the blessing, listen, in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, and I've condense this. Please do read it in, uh, entirely in its context. I've sought to condense it for us. Uh, come, uh, receive the promised spirit through faith. And so, uh, you know, I, I want us to not miss this because there are some, and, and you probably don't face this too much and that's fine, but there are some who theologically like, like to go from, well, it was Israel and now it's the church. And they go with this, this replacement thing, and they go, and Israel's done, and now the church is in its place. And many of the conclusions they end up drawing from that are correct. But what I don't like about that is it bypasses something we want never to bypass, and that's Christ. The promises were to Christ. And the promises are also to us in as much as we have faith in Christ. We st Christ must still remain the center point of that. Because again, if you, if you make it the church, but if you start to make the church as an organization or as a group and as a gathering something, that, that the church somehow begins to exist without its, in, its focus on Christ... You've missed that too. So let's not, let's not jump that. It was to Abraham and his offspring, singular, that is Christ. And we are made heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are brought into that and we share, but, but sometimes I feel like we almost marginalize Christ to get all of the promises directly to us. No, 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 no. Let's not do that. Staying in this, um, ver, uh, chapter 3, 14, the scriptures imprison everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, uh, the law imprisoned everything until the coming 
faith would be revealed. We're justified by faith. Now that faith has come. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And again, I like repeating those phrases because we can start to even elevate faith and we can elevate the church, but all of those things, they, they must remain connected to Christ. It's faith in Christ. It's the church that belongs to Christ, of which he is the head. And he is the ultimate offspring. And on down, you can read the rest of that as we get now into, um, well, I can reread Galatians 3, 7. Know then, so this is something that the apostle wants us to know. Again, how did I figure that out? Yeah. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the, gen the nations by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So I think that that, that all comes pretty clear and, and you can keep reading the rest of those verses yourself as you turn to, to page four. And maybe you want to have your Bibles also open to Galatians 4 at this time. In Galatians chapter four, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does, does one of the most remarkably offensive things that he could possibly do to his fellow man. He is going to liken the physical descendants of Abraham who were brought out who were brought out of Egypt and all shared in the covenant with Moses. He's going to connect them and call them the children of Hagar. I mean, are you ready for that? Because Hagar was the mother of Ishmael. Sarah was the mother of Isaac. And so for them, their ancestry is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Abraham, Ishmael, and then whoever else follows that. It's, that's not the way that it goes. But here, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in order to unfold an understanding of the promises of God that he's already said were actually to Christ, and then through Christ, all who are the sons of Abraham are those who are, have faith in Christ. So he, what he's going to do here is he's going to take all those who have faith and say, Sarah's our mother. All those who are merely physical Jews and say, Hagar's your mother. What? <laughs> no wonder this fella got stoned and beaten so often. You know, I, I mean, it, hate to make light of it because it was a difficult journey. But again... He did not have a choice. This is what the Spirit would have him convey. And by conveying it, it communicates things in the starkest, most powerful ways possible. It says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. You know, and every Jew is saying, when they're hearing that, is saying what? Duh. I mean, yeah, we know this. Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, we know this. Everybody knows this. What's your point? Well, that's the problem. He says this, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, I want to ask you a question. The son of the free woman, was, she, was he also kind of born 
of the flesh? And was he physically born with a physical body and had physical kids? Yes. And so right now, it's starting to get complex and confusing. What are you, where are you going with this? Again, those are the exact right questions to ask. Where are you going with this? All right, because what they're starting to say is, wait a second, why are you uh, linking the promises with the, the child of the free woman? So one's a child of the flesh, and one's a child of promise. Where is he going with this? Well, let's keep reading. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. You turn on your TV almost every day, and you'll find somebody interpreting Scripture allegorically. Watch out for that fella. But when the Holy Spirit gives the allegorical interpretation, then we know that it's sure, which is also remarkable because what it's even telling us is this. Look, look, did, did God have to wait until it was very clear that Sarah was barren and they had pretty much given up on having kids, and she pushed Abraham to have a kid with her, 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 her maid, uh, did God have to wait for all that? Could not God have given her a child much sooner? I mean, he had given Abraham that promise years ago. But by design, God intentionally delayed even had purposed what, what I think is, is ill-advised when Sarah gives her slave woman as a second wife of sorts to her husband, all of that gets messy, right? And, and God waited. God waited, it, from what we know, seems like even about 13 years or so after that, before, before Sarah's even has a kid, to where they've completely given up hope. And why? All of that even history was designed because God was going to use it as an essential object lesson to understand His elective saving purposes. It's like, whoa. And to understand that his elective saving purposes were not, was not, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was designed to demonstrate once and for all, men will not save themselves. No matter how big the promise, men will still follow the sinful desires of their own heart. It just comes out of their heart. And so he, as you can see, he begins to unpack it. These two women are two covenants. One, Mount Sinai. She, Mount Sinai. Now, when you say one covenant is Mount Sinai, what have you just said to the children of Israel? This is the covenant with Moses, right? I mean, this is, this is where, where God brought you out made you a nation, gave you the law, gave you the Ark of the Covenant, gave you, gave you the tablets of stone, this is where it happened. You became that nation that went and then dispossessed other nations. Listen, physically, not a one of them was a descendant of the slave woman. Physically. With regard to God's purposes and promises, and as far as the promises that had been given to Abraham, they were, the Jewish nation is much like Ishmael and his descendants. With regard to the promises that were given to Abraham. And, and, and what they thought was their position is actually to Christ and His so they thought it was Isaac and all of his. But no, it's Jesus and all of his. So again, you work that out and it says, um, uh, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And in case someone still didn't figure out who he was talking about, he said this. She corresponds to present-day Jerusalem, which is the heart of the Jewish community, where where their temple still was, where they still gathered for worship. So he's saying, hey, listen, here's the reality. Physical, just purely physical Jews with regard to Abraham's promise, they're like Ishmael. What? And the promises were given to Christ. What? And those who are united to Christ by faith, they are the sons of Abraham, the man of faith. What? And then he puts that, and then he paints the second picture. But the Jerusalem from above. Now, that is a spiritual Jerusalem, not a physical Jerusalem. So you got the present day, the earthly Jerusalem, and then you have the Jerusalem from above. And again, we some of your minds are going to Revelation, uh, the new Jerusalem coming down from above, and let the mind keep spinning, because we have all of those kinds of things. Even you've come to that city of God, heavenly Zion, all of these wonderful pieces start coming together that we can't unpack tonight. She is our mother. Hmm. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and, do, and, and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So, again, it's interestingly saying that. saying, look, she doesn't, she's barren. She's not had kids, she's not having a kid now, she's not going to have a kid later, but she's going to end up with more kids than the other lady who is like, wait, okay, hold on just a second here. Baron, never had a kid, not having kids, never going to have kids, and yet she's going to have more kids than the other woman who has all those other things. What's going on? Well, you've moved from the flesh of the Spirit. And he explains it a little further for us, and, 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 and I've got it in chart form so you can put the pieces together later as you read it. Now, you brothers, now he's writing this to the Galatians, which includes a lot of non-Jews, right? A lot of Gentiles who are of faith. You brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Just as at that time, He who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted he who was born according to the spirit, Isaac. Remember, he was mocking him and and mistreating him, and so that's why Sarah got mad and sent him off. Also wanted to note for you something here. By the Holy Spirit's purposes, he just made another leap. He went from children of the flesh and children of the promise to now one who was born according to the flesh and one who was born according to the spirit. Not not simply born according to the promise, but he's fleshing this out. Don't still be confused. It's those who are born of the spirit, those who are born of God, those who are born again by grace through faith that this is talking about. And then it goes on even further and says what? But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave uh, woman and her son. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, listen. We are not the children of the slave, but of the free woman. Who is this? It's those united to Christ by faith. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 5 of chapter 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So again, uh, based on what I've said so far, I think, I think you can trace out those, uh, those charts 
and uh, you'll see how these charts basically demonstrate the things I explained. And actually the explanation, hopefully you notice the explanation is oftentimes just a very careful reading. <laughs> you know? And with that said, to understand the, the uh, uh, complicated purposes of God, moving from an old covenant that was with a physical nation and a physical people and, and a physical temple and a physical priesthood, moving to now a, a spiritual people and a spiritual temple and a spiritual peace, priesthood and a spiritual covenant with better and more glorious eternal promises and an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven. Um, to even see some of those pieces a little bit better as we did on page three, kind of did a flyby of, or page two and three, a flyby of Galatians. On page five, I also give you sort of a flyby of key verses that continue to clearly establish the things that we've considered this evening in a fly-through of the book of uh, Romans. So I encourage you to... Uh, Read those things because when read clearly, it, 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 it's powerful. So again, come, coming back to the essential thing tonight, we are a holy nation. It is by our union with Christ by faith. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. It, it, one of the things that we, we're noticing about all of these things, a body of which he is the head, a temple of which he is the cornerstone and capstone, uh, a, a nation of which he is the, the everlasting father and prince of peace. And so we've, we're finding all of these metaphors, they speak in a sense to the church but they speak of the church's essential connection to Christ Jesus. You know, we don't want to be that generation that recognizes some things that are true, but somehow Christ gets second mention. No. He is to have preeminence in everything, is what it tells us in Colossians 1. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we could get through the key things that we did tonight. I thank you also for the wonderful clarity of your word. Lord, if we, um, when we're able to take the time and let scripture interpret scripture and listen as you unfold your promises and purposes and explanation, they surely even in... in what we looked at tonight in Galatians, oft go in unexpected directions, in, in directions that even as Paul says and, and, and Peter says, become a stumbling block for some. But Lord, we thank you that you have revealed that that uh, which is a stumbling block for some is a chosen and precious cornerstone and one that you and your divine purposes have also called us from among every earthly tongue, tribe, and nation to be a part of. Lord, we thank you. And we also can recognize that um, it is a high privilege and responsibility to be a chosen race, to be a people for his own possession, and that the design of that, even in the scripture, is that we might declare the excellencies of him who have saved us. Lord, help us to not forget we have life and we exist in this world, this your world, with the breath that you've given, the opportunities that you've given, the mind you've given, the strength that you've given, and all the design of everything in creation is to be for your praise and glory. It will either be for the praise of your power and wrath and judgment or for the praise of your mercy redemption, grace, and salvation. Lord, we pray that you would use us as those people that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, that we would continue by your grace to work hard so that in the day of visitation that you will be, the day you come, you will be greatly exalted and praised. Lord, and we just pray 
if you would help us in the midst of all the clamor of this world to not live for ourselves, to not live for our jobs, to not even live for our, first and foremost, for our families and spouses, but to live first and foremost for our God who made us, who calls us, who saves us, who owns us. Lord, may we be to the praise of your glory. May we love you more than all these. In Jesus' name.